listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is a show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 285. Hey, Mark, where are we? We are not in the studio. That's for darn sure. Right. So we are at R4 Specialties Christmas Party and Customer Appreciation Event. And I want to give a big shout out. Number one, for the guys and the girls out there cooking the gumbo, it smells delicious. Uh, that bacon wrap pickle, that was incredible. Yes. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of people that made this happy. Besides R4, big shout out to DLS, Gator, PWS, Arion. Burner, Performance Energy, Whitco Supply, UPCS, ABGI, Chase Controls, and Accurate. All these people helped chip in to make this possible. And then Paige, see what's in the corner? Yes, Toys for Tots. It's a Toys for Tots. So thank you, everybody, for contributing to make some little boys, some little girls Christmas wonderful. Yes. All right, we have reviews. Five-star review. Can you talk about hydrogen economy and what do you think about Siemens Energy? I work for a U.S. company now owned by them and I'm not impressed. We have a huge demand in oil and gas parts, but company won't hire trained people. Thank you. That's from Surfactant. You know, it's funny. They're making fun of my mispronouncing of Surfactant. Like that was a year ago. <laughs> yeah. So Siemens is a good company. Siemens is a very old company. You know, they compete with Honeywell, ABB. And quite frankly, they're kind of behind times. They're kind of behind times in the way they attract a younger workforce and the way they market what they do. They've been around for a very long time and they're very good at what they do. So that's basically what I think about Siemens. But uh, Surfactant from the United States, thank you for the review. This person writes in often and gives us a chance to review every time. Yeah. Did you know that? Anyway, let's get into the news stories. First news story is Occidental CEO Holub slams California's plan to fine oil companies. Yeah. So our favorite governor in California, Gavin Newsom, called a special session of the state legislature to consider a maximum profit margin for all refineries and other measures. And so this is basically Vicki Holub saying, look, we have been through hell for the past 15 years. Yes, we're making the extra money now, but we're making extra money now because you and your other political friends' bad decisions has caused this global energy shortage. And so of all the companies out there, you know, Occidental's kind of leading the way in uh, carbon sequestration and storage. They've taken a lot of hits in the last couple of years, especially during COVID. I agree 100% with Vicky. We don't need state governments making the oil and gas industry's job harder. And we have another story we'll get to about California, but this is literally ridiculous because he's not being fair. He's not picking on the tech companies that made record profits. He's not picking on anything else in the oil and gas industry. And we all know that in California, at least presently, other than our buddies up in Taft University, up in our buddies. Taft, it was yeah. in Taft. A lot of the state in California just doesn't like the oil and gas industry. And unfortunately, they're paying the highest prices both for gasoline and electricity. And even their electrical grids reliability has went down because of their decisions. So this is just another one of the things they're doing up there. I agree 100% with Vicky. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And onwards with California. Surprise, surprise. Los Angeles bans oil and gas drilling within the city limits. Hmm. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, people. So what's happening is the city of Los Angeles has decided, number one, that they want to shut down all new drilling, all new wells, at a 12-0 to vote. Uh, the Los Angeles Council approved this audience. 
It's going to immediately ban all new wells, all new drilling. And then in the next 20 years, it wants to shut down all operations. Now, Paige, what do you think that's going to do for California? Do you think that's going to mean they're not going to use oil anymore? No. So what it means is California is going to import more oil from Iraq, Iran, other parts of the world instead of producing their own oil, which they have under their feet. Number one, this is going to increase the chance of being environmental damage because you're now moving oil that you don't need to move. Number two, you've heard me say this on the show before, the U.S. produces the cleanest hydrocarbon molecule in the world, right? And so when you start cutting off your own domestic supply of oil and start importing oil, it's not good for the environment, it's not good for the citizens of California, and it's really not good for anybody. And quite frankly, I would rather that money go to the workers in California than the workers in Saudi Arabia, Ecuador, and Iraq. This is another step in the wrong direction for California, and the people are going to pay the price for this. Well, of course. That's how it always happens. And I think the city you were thinking of earlier was Bakersfield. Yes, Bakersfield. Our buddies yeah. in Bakersfield. Yeah. All right. So the next article is EU sanctions. Russian oil cap price caused tanker bottleneck as crude moves through Turkey. Yeah, this is a really good article, but they got it slightly wrong. So four days ago, the price cap went in on Russian oil at $60 a barrel. And what's happening, these are the G7 nations. So it's basically Europe, the U.S., Australia, and other members of the G7. And they're going, look, if we ban Russian oil, it's going to disrupt the market and cause prices to spike, which we don't need in this global energy shortage. At the same time, Russia is using oil to fund its war machine. How do we fix it? And the way they decided to fix it, which I think is really cool, is they came up with a price cap at $60 a barrel. That means that Russia can continue to make a little bit of money right, which keeps their oil supply on the market, which then helps everybody, but not enough money to fund their war machine. Now, that's one thing that's going on right now. This tanker issue is different in Turkey because Turkey's and a lot of other nations are worried about what happens if there's an oil spill with a tanker. Turkey's making sure that all the tankers that are coming through their ports have the right insurance. What's happened is European and American insurance companies have quit insuring tankers that are pulling Russian oil. Makes sense. So if you don't have insurance, they won't let the tanker through because what they're scared of is there's going to be a spill, a tanker's going to run aground, and there's no money to clean it up. So last time I checked, there were 20 tankers waiting to be filled. And remember, we talked on the last show how it's a $100,000 day rate. Some of these tankers have been there for a week or, or even more, and that's going to kill the profit. The other thing that they don't talk about here is Russia's trying to get around this by building what a lot of people are calling a ghost free to super tankers. So Russia will have its own tankers with its own insurance to move their oil outside of Russia. The problem is the tanker market's on fire right now, so there's not a lot of low-cost tankers on the market. So the only tankers Russia's going to be able to buy are very old ones, which can need to be retrofitted, upgraded, which they won't spend the money to do it. So the odds of these old tankers being brought on the market having a spill is dramatically much higher. This is not a good situation for the world. That's really kind of like their only strategy to get around this price cap, this embargo. But I don't think they're going to be able to pull it off. They're going to have to build a ghost fleet of about 100 tankers. And I just don't think they're going to be able to gather that many tankers. Yeah. Speaking of segues, Turkey seeks proof of insurance from Russian oil tankers. I think you planned this one, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think I stole your moment. <laughs> good segue. So, yes. So, this is exactly what I was talking about. This is another good article talking about the Russian Black Sea ports, the Mediterranean. The Turkish government is making sure they enforce the insurance rules. This is in addition to this G7 price cap on Russian oils. So they're not connected, like I was saying earlier. But, of course, the Turkish maritime authorities have full authority to do what they want to do. And quite frankly, 
what Turkey is doing is the right thing to do, not only for the countries in the Mediterranean that an oil spill would affect greatly, but also to help defund the war machine that Russia is using to continually its war in Ukraine. Right. So White House to ask oil and gas execs to support Ukraine energy infrastructure. So I don't know how many times I said that our current administration is doing something well in the last couple of years, I think twice, maybe three times. This is actually pretty cool. So what's happened is that the Biden administration got a bunch of oil and gas executives together and said, look, the infrastructure in Ukraine is specifically being targeted by Russia. And it's not just things like oil and gas pipelines and refineries. It's things like electrical generation stations, electrical distribution. And so they want the U.S. oil and gas companies to basically agree, not officially, just kind of a handshake deal that when it's the time, they'll come in and help rebuild this infrastructure. And so every oil and gas executive that was part of this meeting said, yes, we will do what we can when it's the right time where we can move our people in there safely to help rebuild Ukraine's infrastructure. Now, what I love about this is I think the conflict with Ukraine and Russia is going to end next year. Both sides will declare a political victory. Russia will want to keep some of the land that's taken over. Ukraine will want stronger border members. But when the U.S. and Europe oil and gas companies come in, they're going to get brand new infrastructure built really quick, which is good for the environment. So they're going to have natural gas-fired power plants instead of coal, brand new pipelines that won't leak stuff. So this is actually a really cool thing. And I'm just happy and proud of our industry for saying, you know what? Yes, we'll step in and we'll help out. Yeah. All right. The next one's pretty sad. One dead after accident at Phillips 66 Wood River Refinery. Yeah. it's. Um, I'm not going to ask everybody to be quiet because y'all are having a good time socializing here. But Paige, let's ask our audience just for a real quick moment of silence. Now, there's never anything good about somebody having an accident and somebody dying. In this case, a crane overturned on the Phillips 66 uh, Wood River, Illinois refinery, and one person got hurt and one person died. And this could have been a much worse disaster. This could have been tens of people passing away and getting injured. So OSHA's out there doing an investigation. Phillips 66 is fully compliant with the investigation. They'll do a root cause analysis and they'll make sure this never happens again. Yeah. Speculative oil positioning now as bearish as in early weeks of pandemic. So this is the oil traders world, right? Where they try to figure out where the price of oils could go. And they either try to short it or go ahead and, and cash into it. We haven't had a lot of movement there most of this year. And actually now we're having a lot of movement. The crude oil index is at negative 70.3. That's the lowest it's been since April of 2020. And then WTI prices settled slightly negative. The index has fallen over 57% over the past three weeks. And this is one of the largest falls since the beginning of last year. Now, OPEC has already said that they're not going to increase production, which I think is smart. I think the world's demand, or I don't think I know, the world's demand is continuing to outstrip supply. And so by keeping the extra barrels off the market, they're going to keep prices high, except for Russia, right? So that OPEC benefits, we benefit, but Russia doesn't. And then the oil traders, everything I've seen out there, including the oil traders, is pointing that we're heading to a deeper recession than we are now. And this just shows that all traders right now aren't willing to take big risk. And then you have China opening up because of the coronavirus, which, you know, it's taken them a year. So that should increase production as well. So bottom line is there's so much flux in the market that even the experts don't know where it's going to go. So they're being very conservative. Okay. USA gasoline price now lower than year ago average. So you guess what state has the lowest gasoline prices in the country? Texas. Yeah, probably. You want to guess what state has the highest gasoline price in the country? California. Very good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so this is good that prices at the pump are falling. 
This is a combination of the price of crude oil dropping, our refinery starting to catch up, although it's gonna be another two years where they actually catch up globally. And 11 states, the average price is 299 or less, which is really, really good. And I just got a note to slow down. <laughs> yeah. Neptune finds oil in Calypso Prospect. So this is really cool. This is Neptune Energy. They made a really big discovery in the Norwegian Sea. This is their Calypso exploration well. It looks already that there's at least three and a half million barrel or equivalent recoverable oil, up to maybe 22 million barrel or equivalent recoverable oil. What's cool about this is that part of the world, the geology is very well understood. It's been explored for decades. And the fact that they're still making new reservoir finds shows you how technology is going to allow us to continue to find oil in parts of the world forever. And y'all have heard me say this before, but the sun will run on a hydrogen before the earth runs out of hydrocarbons. The cool thing is that the managing director for Neptune Energy said that this discovery is one of their core discoveries and they have other wells to drill in this discovery area. This also is a deep water well, which we talked about earlier in the last show, how offshore and deep water starting to come back. Thank goodness. And the other thing that's cool about this is, as usual, this is a joint venture between Neptune, Okea, Padden Energy, and VAR Energy, all owning a piece of this to minimize that risk. So this just goes to show you how even today we can still find discoveries in areas of the world that we've explored for years, especially offshore. And I think it's really cool that deep water is coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I also have family that work out in deep water. So like, let's keep their jobs relevant, you know? (laughs) So, all right. So the next one, deeply damaging mistake. UK's decision to approve a new coal mine criticized as misguided. Hmm. Well. Interesting one. So with all the push toward renewables and pushing too fast, you know, I've said this a million times, the world's in energy shortage. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And the winter has set in in Europe. And it's cold. And the only thing they can get online quickly is coal. It takes too much time to build infrastructure to get additional LNG in. And so they're starting a new coal mine. Now, of course, the environmentalists in the UK are having a conniption fit because of this. And the general public is going, look, we can't afford our electric bills and we can't even keep our houses warm enough to keep everybody well. For a short term, I think this is probably a good thing. Now, because this is a new coal mine, its impact to the environment will be much less, much, much less than the coal mines that have been around for hundreds of years. Because of technology, right? Because of technology, they're able to keep the coal dust down. They're able to keep the particulates down. They're going to automate a lot of the mining and moving, so there's not a chance of people getting hurt. But there's so much negativity coming from the environmentalists in the UK. And I really think what the government should do is take all these environmentalists and put them somewhere and let them go through the winter on their existing energy supply so they can see what it feels like to be cold. Let's torture them. That's what we should do. <laughs> you know, and of course, my favorite company that won't come on the balance point, Greenpeace, has to chime in. And it says, this coal mine will do absolutely nothing for the UK's energy security, which is just wrong. It will power electrical generation plants. It will heat homes. It's not the best thing for the environment. The best, like I said, we move into natural gas. But they can't build the infrastructure quick enough. And then, of course... Our own current administration had to chime in on this. Like there's some experts on energy and they (laughs) talk about the increase in carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, particulates and nitric oxides that will be caused from this plant. They're wrong. Those particulates are only caused when you burn it, not when you mine it. Like just the fundamental understanding of science or how energy is made is literally ridiculous. Let politicians politic. Yeah. So anyway, for short term, I think this is good for the UK. 
we will keep an eye on this. China has opened a lot of coal mines recently. That You never see that in the press, but it's the quickest way for them to provide energy to their people. Globally, the mining of coal and the use of coal has actually went up since the pandemic, not down. Do you know how many, by chance, China's opened? Oh, they've had at least 40 new coal mines open in the last two years. Oh, wow. 40, not four, 40. Oh, I thought, you, no, four. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Because I totally thought you said four. All right. That's a lot to consider. All right. So OPEC plus to consider deeper oil output cuts ahead of Russia's sanctions and proposed price cap. Yeah. So what they're trying to do here is since the price cap hit the Russian oil, and remember I said that we're doing that so that their supply does not come off the market and cause a spike. But it allows them to make just enough money to keep their oil output steady, yet not enough money to fund their war machine. OPEC, and if you don't know OPEC, it's 20-something countries that basically is a cartel that agree on production numbers to control price. What they're looking at is to actually cut some of the supply that's on the market. Now, they're saying they're doing this to help with this Russia problem. That's not what's really going on. They see OPEC sees the same thing I see in that global demands may start softening up because this recession that's coming on board and there may not be as big a demand. And what you don't want to have is an oversupply situation. So they're trying to prevent an oversupply. This is normal for OPEC to do this sort of thing. we got to see what their decisions are. There's a lot of people that are really kind of worry or wary about this, their European sanctions on the Russian oil, especially since all G7 nations agreed to do it. and They're actually enforcing it. So we'll keep an eye on this. Okay. EIA U.S. crude stocks drop, fuel stocks post large builds. So this is actually interesting. So crude stocks drop and fuel stocks are actually starting to build, which is actually good for the entire world. So gasoline and distillate inventories had huge bills. And the reason is inventories that are growing is the oil refiners are starting to catch up with the demand for refined products. Also, their utilization is the highest it's been since, I think, 2017. Now, crude inventories fell recently, and that fall was over 5.2 million barrels, which is way more than most analysts, including myself, thought that would happen. And so this whole situation is actually a much bigger headline than a lot of people realize. You're having a lot of dislits being made, so think jet fuel, gasoline, diesel, but the demand number is going down again this week. And so you're having demand go south, not north, which is what a lot of people thought it was going to do. The other thing that's going on is refinery utilization rose another 0.3%, which doesn't sound like much, but they're almost operating at 96% um, output, which is crazy. That's like running your car at 150 miles an hour for hours at a time. We talked earlier about how the refineries are running their machinery in the ground to try to help the world out with this energy shortage. This is them cranking up just a little bit. The fact that the stockpiles of fuels are starting to build up again is really good, but this weakening demand is, I think, going to be something we have to deal with next year. All right. So last one, focus. BP doubles down on hydrogen as fuel of the future, which you covered last week. I'm actually very bullish on hydrogen. I love hydrogen. We've used hydrogen commercially for over 100 years. You can strip hydrogen out of natural gas. You can also take renewable, excess renewable energy, think solar and wind, and use that to electrolyze not only seawater, but produced water and produce hydrogen as a fuel. There's a couple of companies out there, Nissan and Honda, the first ones that come to mind, that are already building commercial hydrogen-powered vehicles. Now, they're not mass supply because the infrastructure is not there to refuel them. But I just think it's awesome that BP is looking at this. I think this is a smooth move by BP. And you have to remember, BP and Shell have really hurt their shareholder 
their stock price, their shareholder performance, and their gross profits compared to Exxon and Chevron right. because they've invested so much money and their resources in renewables. This is sort of like in between. So on the renewable side, a lot of people think hydrogen is dead. Some people think hydrogen is great, but it's something that can be used on either side. We can produce it with excess renewable energy. We can burn it internal combustion engines. And then it's a lot of the hydrogen that we use now is actually used in some of the refining process with some of these heavy complex crude. And then this whole thing about green hydrogen, gray hydrogen, and blue hydrogen, to me, it's all just freaking hydrogen. So it uh, looks like BP is putting about $14 million dollars I'm sorry, $1.4 billion. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big difference, isn't it? Into this project over the next five years. It looks like U.S. governments could chip in with the IRA and offer a $3 per kilogram tax credit for hydrogen. So this is kind of a win-win for everybody, including even the taxpayers who are having to foot the bill for the IRA. At least part of the output of this the IRA thing will be cleaner, cheaper hydrogen that we may use in the very near future. That's it. That's it. That went by really quick. Yeah. Yeah. And so folks, if I've mentioned this before, if you want to advertise with us, we have a whole bunch of options. You go to the website, OGN.com forward slash price and check everything out. We've actually had a lot of interest in non-typical sponsors and advertisers. I mean, companies that <laughs> I know, companies I know that exactly that you what you're never talking think about. would have reached out to us that are wanting to work <laughs> with us, which is a good thing. Speaking of good things, Paige, I got to ask you, what's the weekly rig count? All right. In the United States, we've got 784. We're even on that. No changes. Canada is at 195. We're up one. Internationally, we're at 910, down one. So not really much of a change, which is always good news to me. Good numbers. Yeah. Also good numbers is our LinkedIn group. We're over 50,000. If you haven't joined, shame on you. Go to LinkedIn and join. Then if you listen to this show for any length of time, first thing, thank you for being a longtime listener. If you just are a new listener, we do this thing once a month called Friday Q&A, where you can submit questions and Paige and I will answer them or attempt to answer them. The easiest way is to go to the website, OGGN.com or OilandGasThisWeek.com. There's a place you submit your question. If we use your question on the air, you'll get a big shout out. And then we have the monthly oil and gas events newsletter. You've heard me say it a hundred times. It's all the oil and gas events in one place. We put your inbox for free. Then if you want myself or any of our experts to come speak, which we've done a whole bunch of it this week. Yeah, you're kind of tired. I'm getting there. Speaking of Russia earlier on, I got interviewed today by Russia TV. It's like the 10th time. Can't get that out of the news. It's funny having an oil and gas fan club in Russia, evidently. So if you're listening from Russia, thank you. But anyway, if you want any of our experts to come speak, let me know. I'd be happy to share the details. And then Paige, I want some gumbo. I do too. You ready to get out of here? Yes. All right, folks. Remember, do great work. Pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.